Previously on Transformers University, took a look at the creators and minds at Marvel Comics who created the Transformers backstory and the first four issues of the Marvel Comics limited series. And now we take a look into Marvel books and their contributions to the early days of the Transformers. Hello, my friend, and welcome to the seventh episode of Transformers University. I am your host, Anthony Brucalli, and this episode is brought to you by TFU.info, the world's largest and longest-running Transformers toy archive. And uh, we got a special topic for you today. We are going to go over something a little more obscure, something a little different than what we're used to on the show of doing cartoons, comics, and toys. We're going to uh, jump into some of the books from 1984. Now, the majority of these books, actually all of these books that we're covering today, were published by Marvel Books. Now, Marvel Books was a subsidiary of Marvel in the 80s. Um, It was part of their marketing uh, plan to appeal to kids and adults of varying ages. They put the picture's name on everything. Merchandising, merchandising. To do this, they did a lot of licensed products and a lot of Marvel products in uh, some of the formats we're covering today, which are namely uh, coloring books, Marvel's uh, big looker books, and which were 8x8 format books that are are pretty cool, and uh, we'll get to those in a little bit, and some of the uh, sticker adventure books as well. Now, before we get into the books and before we talk about the differences in these entities versus the comics versus the cartoon versus the toys uh, I have to give a shout out to Steve Stonebreaker now uh, if you've been in the fandom as long as I have or longer than you know Steve uh, he is great dude and he is actually the person who keeps this great website called camphortree.net that's c-a-m-p-h-o-r-t-r-e-e.net Uh, It's his personal website, but he has a whole Transformers section in there. And among the things in there, he keeps an archive of these books uh, fully scanned uh, and available to everyone. So if you want to uh, read along as we talk about this, head on over there. I'll put the link in the show notes and in the show description so that you can uh, follow along. And a big shout out to Steve for keeping this site going all these years. Uh, from that, though, we are going to jump into coloring books. And another thing you can do uh, is actually, uh, if you work off of Steve's page, you can download some of these images from the coloring books and color them in uh, Photoshop or or even just print them out and uh, do something on your own. Uh, if you do, especially if you do it from listening to this podcast, tweet at me, at TFU underscore info. Take a photo, take a scan of your uh, coloring creation because I want to see it. Uh, so uh, get out there and uh, and do some coloring. And we're going to jump into the coloring books. And the first coloring book, uh, from what I can tell from Steve-O's uh, website and from some other sources, the first one published was called The Deadly Fuel Shortage. And uh, it has a basic Transformers story. The Decepticons attempt to kidnap Sparkplug and Buster. Yes, Buster this time. Um will alternate between Buster and Spike throughout these books. It's uh, it's one of the more interesting things as these books go on because being a Marvel-produced piece, 
uh, they really should all be Buster, since Buster is the uh, the you know the human identifier character in the comic. So going back and forth between Buster and Spike is one of those things that happens a lot in these books, uh, among a few other things, and we'll get to them as as we go on. Uh, so yeah, the Decepticons attempt to kidnap Spark, Sparkplug and Buster. The uh, Autobots fight them off. The Decepticons play it in a steel Earth's energy, and they start at Hoover Dam. Doesn't this sound familiar? Um, it seems to be an ongoing uh, early concept that the first battle take place at Hoover Dam. It happens pretty early in the cartoon. It happens uh, pretty early in the Marvel Limited series. And uh, it's something that even carried over into the first Michael Bay film. So uh, it's, a, it's an interesting little theme that runs uh, throughout the early portions of uh, early Transformers fiction. And the Autobots eventually fight them off and win. Now, there's some interesting things here in this book as far as character design. If you're following along on Steve-O's website, you'll notice that um, Ravage and Megatron are predominantly their toy models. Uh, most of the designs come from the toy models, not from the cartoon models. And uh, at one point in the book... Um, Sunstreaker is referred to as Spinout, which was a working name for him uh, originally. But he is referred to as Spinout uh, both before and after portions where he is called Sunstreaker. Um, and there's really not a lot much more to say about this book, though. It does have an interesting cover with Sideswipe and Bumblebee on it. And as it turns out, that cover appears in the next book, which was called... Uh, Bumblebee to the rescue and uh, this one actually has some credits to it but uh, before we get into just who did these books we're going to uh, check in with my good friend Rob Springer from Being Awesome with Rob Springer on the Radio Free Cybertron Network to give us a little more backstory to this book. The Transformers coloring books were really important to me as a child because this was my introduction to Transformers fiction. I was already a fan of science fiction thanks to Star Wars. And those cool commercials for Transformers sold me right off the bat. These were cool toys. Um, there were jets that turned into robots. And there was this cool Optimus Prime guy. And I had some of the toys. But the cartoon hadn't started yet in my area. And thanks to cartoons like Voltron, Mighty Orbots, and the GoBots, I was, I was hooked on the idea of transforming robots as is. And the, the Marvel comics had started, but they were just a little above my head. Like, they were, a little, they were written for a little bit older than me. I was uh, in kindergarten and first grade. And these coloring books had appropriate for children stories, which was really appropriate because I was a child. And there were little silly stories that really made me want to... They made me want more. You know, they made me want more of these cool robots from outer space that had adventures and did cool things. You know, there's a tape that turned into a jaguar. And uh, Bumblebee uh, to the rescue definitely, definitely stands out to me more than any of the other ones because I had two copies of it. My aunt gave me a copy when we were moving and she basically gave me a bunch of coloring books and crayons for, to keep me busy in the car. And... um I already had a copy of Bumblebee to the rescue, but I didn't tell her this because I didn't realize that until we got in the car and I was looking through this care package she gave me. I was like, oh, I got this one already, but that's okay. It was a good one. 
of these coloring books, you know, they had story pages, but every other page would have like an activity thing, like a crossword puzzle or a mix and match them game type of deal. Well, in this issue, there was a picture of Megatron holding Earth in space, like a dramatic picture. Megatron's conquered Earth because he really, he really wants it, guys. And um, because I had already colored uh, the story before, I decided to do this one differently. Each Transformer got colored a little different. There was little variations. I tried to do some of the pictures better than before. Because before I was a baby. Now I'm a grown man. You know, it's like a month later. But, uh, so for the Megatron one, you know, he had the black helmet. I colored them with the black helmet. But instead of Earth, I colored this, this, this was a new planet. And it was magenta and purple. Because... I foresaw Megatron as a conqueror of space because I was a child and it was a coloring book. You know, awesome is probably the best word to describe Mr. Rob Springer. And if uh, you haven't checked out his podcast, Being Awesome with Rob Springer, you're missing out. And also, you should check out his website, zonebase.org. That's Z O N E B A S E dot O R G. Uh, if you like this podcast, you'll probably dig zonebase.org. It's, uh, it's Rob's blog where he, uh, picks out random little tidbits from Transformers history and, uh, just talks about them for a little bit. And, uh, there are things that are all over the place, but including things like these coloring books and, and some of the other books we'll be talking about today. Um, so let's talk about Bumblebee to the rescue. Now this issue, this, uh, coloring book, I should say was written by Dwight John Zimmerman. Now, uh, Mr. Zimmerman was a writer and editor at Marvel in the 80s. He wrote uh, backup stories for Marvel Comics Presents, and uh, most notably probably for this audience, he wrote a couple issues of the Thundercats comic. Currently, he is an author with Macmillan Publishing, and um, he uh, generally writes military... Uh, fiction and military histories uh, for readers of various ages. Now, the uh, artists on this book, the pencilers involved, are uh, at least one of comics royalty in Steve Ditko. Now, uh, you've heard of Stan Lee, you've heard of Jack Kirby, you've probably heard of Steve Ditko. He was a penciler at Marvel during the early days uh, when Stan Lee was creating basically the entire Marvel Universe, and Steve Ditko is the co-creator of a uh, character by the name of Spider-Man and another character by the name of Doctor Strange. Uh, the other penciler on this book is John Tartaglione, who uh, penciled uh, some of the more interesting biography uh, comics that came out of the 80s that Marvel did of... Uh, Pope John Paul II and uh, Mother Teresa. Uh, he was also uh, a cover artist in the early days of uh, Marvel, including some really early issues of the X-Men, uh, drawing the covers of issues 28 to 30 and 32 and 33. Uh, 28, uh, I believe, was the first appearance of Banshee. I'm going to have to check back on that, but I'm pretty sure it is, and uh, he drew the cover to that. Um, the art generally inside of this book features uh, very toyetic art, so a lot of the art mirrors what the toys look like. Um, the cover that appeared on the deadly fuel shortage is inside, uh, uncolored for 
you to color in. Um, notably, there's some interesting descriptions about the characters in here. For example, Optimus Prime can, quote, split into three parts. So Optimus Prime, Roller, and Combat Deck were all considered separate parts of the main Optimus Prime unit. And uh, so that's something that gets mentioned a number of times in this book. Also, uh, Bumblebee has telescopic sight, which I guess was an early ability that eventually got taken away. And then Trailbreaker in this book has the most odd head design I've ever seen for him. Um, he looks like he's wearing a giant pair of sunglasses. This book, once again, this book actually has Spike instead of Buster. And uh, the basic story in the early parts of this book is uh, Megatron plans to uh, trap the Autobots and throw them in his, quote, special Autobot prison. Um, and then from there, uh, Starscream and Thundercracker capture Sparkplug, Blue Streak, and Sideswipe using the literary equivalent of a cartoon net, Sleep Nets. Um, Prime uses uh, Roll Bar and Combat Deck to stop an avalanche. Soundwave paralyzes gears by, <laughs> ready for this, unplugging some stuff on his back. Uh, so some of these can get a little bit silly, but that's that's what's fun about it. And uh, the Autobots get captured, they get into jail, and Bumblebee, Spike, and Sparkplug have a plan. They create a giant fake Autobot. And uh, oddly enough, I wrote that down in my notes and then went looking up on uh, TF Wiki uh, about this book, and they call it Giant Fake Autobot. He even has an entry on TF Wiki called Giant Fake Autobot. So uh, do yourself a favor. Go to tfwiki.net, search Giant Fake Autobot, and you'll get the page with the image of... Uh, the giant fake Autobot in question. And then, uh, you know, the end of the book, Bumblebee frees the bots because the Decepticons get fooled by the giant fake Autobot and the Autobots defeat the Decepticons. All right, so let's move on to the next coloring book, Decepticon Patrol. This one also written by Dwight John Zimmerman. And by the way, if you want to uh, reach out to him on Twitter, you want to ask him some questions, I did hunt down his Twitter account. It is DJZ Author. So that's uh, Twitter, that's at DJZ Author, uh, and that is the Dwight John Zimmerman. The art on this book is by Charles Nicholas. Now, I had to do a little bit of digging here because apparently Charles Nicholas is a famous pen name for a couple of different um, comic artists. Comic artists. Um, I guess pen name is the wrong term, but uh, they're pseudonyms for uh, a few artists who were drawing under fake names for one reason or another. Um, most notably, uh, three artists, and the first two this book was not drawn by. Uh, the three artists that have used Charles Nicholas as a, uh, as a name to draw under are Chuck Quidera, and this is not him, Jack Kirby, this is also not, and... Charles Wojcikowski. Now, uh, Mr. Wojcikowski created the Blue Beetle and uh, drew a lot of early, early Captain America comics. So we're talking comics legends again, drawing these coloring books. And uh, the uh, inker on this book was Phil Lord. He was a longtime Marvel inker, and he was uh, part of what's known as Romita's Raiders. Now, Romita's Raiders were part of the Marvel bullpen, and they were... Uh, um, 
they were a group which uh, Mr. Lord was a member of who would uh, secretly correct art prior to the publishing at the direction of Mr. John Romita. Uh, according to Lord, he is uncredited with the backgrounds for Transformers number one and two. And uh, Romita's Raiders would just basically go in, fix some artwork before publishing so they can get out quickly and on time. Uh, there are some bizarre designs in this book, really, really strange ones, namely uh, Mirage and Ratchet. And all I can tell you is follow that link in the description because these two characters look nothing like we've seen them before. And again, uh, Bumblebee is in here and he has telescopic eyes. Um, and they're drawn tele to look like giant goggles over his eyes. And again, uh, it must be a feature that uh, Mr. Dwight John Zimmerman was trying to play up, you know, like kind of like a bumblebee bug eyes to put on him um, as one of his abilities. And uh, they're definitely drawn here. And the other neat little feature is uh, all the secret jets, Starscream, Thundercracker, and Skywarp because they're predominantly in black and white and uh, require the reader to color them in, they were all drawn with unique heads and unique vehicle modes. So uh, they all turn into jets. They all have slight differences. They all have slight differences to their heads. Um, and actually slight is probably an understatement. They all have drastic differences to their faces and heads. So the uh, basic story here is the Decepticons plan to build a Decepticon factory and the Autobots set out to stop them um, among some of the weirdness in this book there is a giant version of Ravage like nightmarishly large version of Ravage how large well he's generally about the size of what a large dog or cat um, in this drawing there's an elephant in the drawing and it comes up to his elbow so go take a look at that that one's pretty crazy. Uh, Laserbeak uh, is portrayed as cowardly and uh, in the story he finds a car factory and thinks it's an Autobot factory. Um, so Mirage makes a hologram out of a factory to trick the Decepticons um, and then Laserbeak of course is stopped with what? A cartoon net. So remember folks if you need to stop somebody in a cartoon or coloring book, carry a net with you. And then uh the last of this is that Huffer is considered the one of the strongest among the Autobots and uh, crushes two secret jets over his head between his shoulders. Another really bizarre and interesting uh, image. Go check it out. All right, so we're going to move on to our final coloring book in this episode, and uh, we'll do other episodes with some more coloring books as we get through the years of Transformers stuff, but the final one for this one is called Search for Treasure Under the Sea. And uh, again, written by Dwight John Zimmerman. And the art on this one was by uh, penciled by Carlos Garzon, uh, who was a penciler on Marvel's uh, Star Wars comic for a number of, number of issues. And uh, drew the cover for G.I. Joe number 153 in the 90s, which was the third to last issue. And the inker on this book was Joe Giella, though he is miscredited on this book as Joe Giello. Um, he is a longtime inker for Marvel and DC, and most notably, he was part of the art team, the inker on Green Lantern number one in 1960. Uh, the art in this book, very similar 
to uh, some of the Transformers box art. And this time we feature Spike instead of Buster. And the issue starts with Megatron planning to find undersea treasure. Where uh, is he creating this plan? But in the Decepticon cottage, of course. Yes, yes, uh, I will explain that more. And why is he... This book is really out there, man. This book has really got some strange concepts. Um, why is he looking to uh, find undersea treasure? So that he can use the money to buy slash build factories to make more Decepticons on Earth. So yes, so Megatron is going to find treasure, use it to legally buy or build factories to make his Decepticon robots. And uh, the Autobots find out this plan because Bumblebee is spying on them through their paned windows from bushes on their front lawn. So... <laughs> This is such a weird, weird book. So the Autobots will stop them because Wheeljack has built a battleship. Yes, that's right. Not a Transformer that is a battleship. He is actually, in his spare time, built a giant ship on the water for them to stop the Decepticons in this very, very specific situation. Um, of note, also in the art, Soundwave and Hound have really strange head models. Uh, again, don't look normally like themselves. And uh, in the middle of this book, Bumblebee uh, drives underwater. He sees a cassette player that he thinks Buster, not Spike, even though it's Spike featured in this issue, uh, that Buster would like. And he decides to go and pick it up from under the ocean. And shocker, it's Soundwave. Um, and then Megatron gets the gold and Bumblebee. They plan on buying their factories. And then the Autobots arrive and uh, defeat the Decepticons. Yes, that is an actual story uh, in an actual Transformers piece of official fiction. So uh, in this bizarre, bizarre coloring book universe, um, Megatron is fiscally minded. I think that will wrap up the coloring books for this episode. And we're going to uh, jump on now to uh, the 8x8 format, Big Looker Storybooks. Now, these things are fantastic. And uh, so they're in 8x8 format. They are uh, storybooks usually featuring uh, painted art, actually always featuring painted art. And they had these for Transformers. They had these for G.I. Joe. Um, another company, not Marvel, did these for Masters of the Universe, and uh, they're really, really neat stuff. So if you ever get a chance to find one, uh, it's just picking it up because they're really nice. Or head on over to Steve Stonebreaker's website, as I mentioned earlier in this episode, and take a look because he's got full scans up there. Actually, uh, one of the books we're covering were uh, my scans from the early 90s and uh, because the art is just too nice to uh, not have online. Actually, no, those aren't my scans from the 90s. Scratch that. Um, I did have them up on my old website on um, zoom.net, xoom.net, before going to uh, nbci.net uh, in the old, old free website days. So the uh, Big Looker storybooks, we're going to cover uh, just two of them this time around. We're going to start with the Battle for Cybertron. Now, this book was written by Scott Siegel. 
Mr. Siegel is a writer of science fiction. Uh, wrote a lot of books with his wife Barbara in the 80s and 90s. Did a uh, few G.I. Joe Find Your Fate books. And uh, is now a fixture on the Broadway theater scene. Um, if you search him on the web, you'll, uh, you'll be able to hunt down some of his uh, Broadway work. And more importantly, the beautiful painted art in this book and the next one we're going to cover is by Earl Norm. Now, Earl Norm was a uh, uh, artist at Marvel, uh, did a lot of painted covers, did a lot of stuff for Marvel books, and um, he was a World War II veteran. He saw action in uh, Italy as part of the Army's Mountain Division and was wounded during the war. Uh, he painted many, many things in the 80s that were familiar with uh, people my generation. A lot, a lot of Masters of the Universe stuff, uh, including some of the best Masters of the Universe posters and uh, covers for books and art for books in the 8x8 format, uh, very similar to this. Um, he also paints a lot of uh, Conan uh, art, uh, both for him, and then painted both that and the Masters Universe stuff for uh, their respective magazines. And uh, if you like Earl Norm's art, I did a little Googling. Um, he's got, before he passed away a couple of years ago, he had started a uh, Facebook page, and I believe his family keeps it up. Um, there is some sweet, sweet stuff on those that Facebook page. It's called Earl Norm Art, E-A-R-L space N-O-R-E-M space A-R-T, uh, Earl Norm Art. And uh, if you search that in Facebook, it should come right up. And there's actually even photos of some of the original artwork that appear in, uh, in this book and the next book we're going to talk about. So, the Battle for Cybertron. Um, it retells the basic origin of the Transformers as depicted in the cartoon and the comics um, with some various twists on the details. Uh, the war raged on for 1,000 years, exactly. Once again, they use the Marvel Comics origin of uh, Cybertron being knocked out of orbit and then heading into an asteroid field that needs to be um, taken care of. And that whole sequence plays out just like the comics, the Autobots destroy the asteroid fields, the Decepticons attack, and their respective shuttles crash into a volcano on Earth. Uh, this issue features Spike, not Buster. And the um, we find out when uh, after the Autobots and Decepticons are awakened that uh, the city that Spike and Sparkplug live in is named Kimball. I'm a cop, you idiot! I'm Detective John Kimball. Now, in uh, this story, it's not a dam the Decepticons go for to uh, seize Earth's energy. They attack a nuclear power plant. And this is interesting for the specific reason that on the cartoon show, the according to the series Bible, the writers were strictly forbidden to use the word nuclear power plant. Uh, I think they were not allowed to use nuclear anything within the show. So it's, a, it's an interesting little slight difference in this book in that they were able to use nuclear power plant as uh, the target in a book that was actually meant for viewers younger than the show was. Um, and there's a fight. Um, the story actually says that it's in the desert, but uh, Optimus Prime gets shot, and he gets shot what looks like a mountain incline, 
which only tells me that that artwork was inspired in some way or meant to parallel in some way Norm's military career. Um, Optimus's shot by Starscream in the shoulder is repaired quickly by Sparkplug and then the Autobots battle back to win and another couple little weirdly interesting notes about the art and since we're on Optimus we're going to stay with Optimus you never see his face in this book you see his head from the side or from the back you never see past his cheek it's really kind of weird and I think it gets explained in the next book but before we jump to that um, one last thing about this there's some odd um, design and color choices for Wheeljack in one of the pieces of artwork he has a red body and some rounded uh, ears uh, that protrude from his head and his ears are usually squared off and his body's usually white so it's a interesting twist and it makes me wonder if uh, the Marlboro Wheeljack was uh, used as part of the inspiration for these paintings before uh, things were finalized but uh, moving on the next book uh, that we're going to talk about is called The Great Car Rally and uh, this book again was the combination of um, actually different writer but someone you're familiar with Dwight John Zimmerman once again wrote this book as well and the art this time by Earl Norum and uh, there's some interesting things so like the title page on this uh, book has some matted artwork on the front uh, not the cover but the title page first page within the book has the artwork is matted so that the titles can be placed and the credits can be placed and so it's letterboxed down so that you can only see Megatron, Prime, uh, Cliffjumper, Bumblebee, and Mirage. But if you head over to that Earl Norm Art Facebook page, the entire art is up there in full. And uh, you can also find that he had painted Soundwave, Laserbeak, and Thundercracker into the image. But all three of those are cropped out of the art. So before we get into the full-on plot of this, we're going to check in with my friend Alan Young of Toy Box Comics to tell us a little bit more about The Great Car Rally. Looking at this book, The Great Car Rally, uh, the story is, you know, silly Decepticons have a plan to defeat the Autobots. Uh, the, uh, the Autobots want to enter a car race and uh, the Decepticons want to stop them. But what really stands out about this book is some of the art uh, choices. The character designs are all a little strange. Uh, Megatron, for instance, is, has the uh, early Marvel design with the black helmet. But uh, what's really fun about it is that, uh, one, we see Cliffjumper with... Uh, eyeball headlights uh so that's an unusual choice and oh by the way he's being chased by megatron be, uh, who is driving a giant cadillac so that uh <laughs> it's just a memorable image is all uh and these th images show up you know on social media all the time and the final closing image of the book uh, has Optimus Prime, I believe throughout the book, he does not have a uh, faceplate. He has a mouth, which, especially in the early days of Transformers, was uh, pretty much unheard of. But 
you know, in the final splash image, Optimus is standing there with uh, Bumblebee and Cliffjumper and just has a big old smile on his face. And it looks really weird, but uh, it's memorable. And I appreciate that. And you should go and appreciate some of Alan's work. Alan works on a great website called Toy Box Comics. That's T-O-Y-B-O-X-C-O-M-I-X. That's comics with a X dot com. So toyboxcomics.com for some fantastic photograph comics of your favorite toys doing really silly things and usually hanging out with the Golden Girls. You can also catch Alan on Twitter. Uh, His handle is that same name, Toy Box Comics with an X. Uh, And one of the points he brings up, which uh, ties back to the previous books, Optimus is shown in these paintings without his faceplate. And this might be uh, the first time, pretty sure it's the first time we see him portrayed that way. And uh, in an interview with Earl Norm on Sabertron.com from many, many years ago, uh, Norm mentioned that they probably did the faceplate because he wanted to be make sure that Optimus was more expressive, which is interesting to see compared to the previous book. So there must have been some discussion about Optimus's face during the creation of all this artwork because the previous book had no face for Optimus, that his head was always turned, and this one finally shows him without his faceplate. Uh, some other interesting little tidbits in this book, um, just to expand on what the story was. So the story plot here was that the Autobots were going to enter, quote, the Big Car Rally, which was a uh, race to win a year's supply of fuel. It was a three-part race, and each leg would be run by a different Autobot. The beginning of the race would be run by Mirage. The second half of the race would be run by Hound, and the third part of the race would be run by Cliffjumper. In one scene in this book, Cliffjumper is referred to as Blowout, which was a working name for the toy before it was uh, decided to be Cliffjumper, so something that got past the editors there. Spike in this book, not Buster, even though it's Buster's design that's used in the artwork. Um... As the story goes, the uh, Decepticons attack the race to uh, foil the Autobots' plan. In particular, Hound gets blown to pieces in this book. And uh, one of the sweetest pieces of art in this book is Ratchet putting Hound back together. And it's it's pretty neat because he's kind of just laying on the ground in, in little pieces. And uh, Ratchet's putting him together. And uh, with the uh, paintings, it's, it's really nice. And... The Ratchet design in here is actually the Flora Derry TV show design. So it's it's interesting to see that some things from before the show and before the comic stayed in this book, while other things had either changed or evolved during the creation of this book. And then, of course, lastly, in the final leg, Megatron driving a big black Cadillac, as uh, Alan mentioned before, uh, surprises Cliffjumper, pops out of the driver's seat, and shoots a Cliffjumper from the big black Cadillac. And yes, Cliffjumper's vehicle mode has eyes in his headlights. And what Alan failed to mention was that so does the big black Cadillac. And uh, yeah, Megatron also has his uh, black head design from uh, prior to the cartoon series. If you haven't read The Great Car Rally, swing on over to camfortree.net. 
and uh, take a look at this one because it is it's a fun read but the art is is stupendous uh, Earl Norm is a master and uh, I was actually googling him uh, yesterday when I was uh, prepping for this episode and there's a video of him from a couple years ago uh, at a comic-con uh, running into Stanley and Stanley can only sing this man's praises uh, during the entire time so Let's move on from the Big Looker books to our final segment in this episode, the uh, Sticker Adventures. Now, Sticker Adventures were part coloring book, part sticker book. So you can find these as well on Steve Stonebreaker's site. So take a look at them. Uh, the ones we'll be covering here are Return to Cybertron. Uh, and the second book we will cover is called Revenge of the Decepticons. Now, both of these books were written by Suzanne Wayan. Uh, that's W-E-Y-N. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. She is a uh, currently a young adult author with Scholastic. And the art on both of these books, once again, by Charles Nicholas, a pseudonym for Charles Wojcikowski. And for more on Return to Cybertron, we toss to podcaster extraordinaire Jason Kirk. In a fandom focused so much on toys, like Transformers is, I think it's easy to forget the ancillary product that we also enjoyed growing up. For me, it was the sticker adventure books. You would punch out the stickers from the back of the book, and each page would have certain places that were dotted lines, and you'd match the stickers up, wet them a little bit, and stick them on the page. And then you could color the rest. One of these, Return to Cybertron, featured a story where Optimus Prime is knocked out in the battle. He wakes up to find all the Autobots dead, more or less. So he returns to Cybertron to see if he can get help. He is intercepted by the Decepticon police force on Cybertron and is supposedly killed there. We do find out that when he was knocked out, he actually just had a dream, so no one's actually dead, which for a kid's book shouldn't surprise you. But that's a very interesting story to be told within, I think, 12 pages in a kid's book. Now, one reason I love this book is because it's also featured in a movie you might have heard of called Spaceballs. During the scene where Yogurt is explaining merchandising, you can see this book with a Spaceballs stickers plastered on it. And for me, it's a cool little Easter egg to see something from my childhood in one of my favorite movies. So there's multiple reasons for me to look back at these things with such fondness. And you can catch Jason Kirk on his podcast, Podvocacy, at podvocacy.com. And you can also catch him on a number of Transformers podcasts on the Radio Free Cybertron Network and Transmissions, including Paladins of Ultron, where he and uh, Jeremy from Transmissions... Uh, Go through the new Netflix Voltron series. Really, really good stuff. And the clip he mentioned is the one we played earlier from Spaceballs with uh, merchandising. And the version of Return to Cybertron in question is... Spaceballs the Coloring Book! It is also not... Spaceballs the Flamethrower! <laughs> that kids love this one. And to bring this all full circle, the dinks in the background of the merchandising scene on Spaceballs. If you remember episode four of this podcast, you know that those characters, the dinks, are voiced by Corey Burton, the voice of Spike, Sunstreaker, and Shockwave. Now, in Return to Cybertron, we see a few interesting things here. On the uh, last page, and actually in t during the battle with the Decepticons in the book... Uh, one of the people we see in the final page, and it's really obvious in the final page, not so obvious in the middle of the book, there's an Autobot group shot uh, where Optimus kind of gets up to kind of go, hey, I want to work on that ship some more. And he's there with Bumblebee and Sparkplug and Soundwave. 
Yes, Soundwave, with a giant Autobot symbol on his chest. And he's actually seen earlier on page 8, fighting with the Autobots. You can actually make him out. It's only him from the back, but if you look at his leg, you can see the uh, volume knob for his tape deck mode. And then uh, in Revenge of the Decepticons, uh, the issue starts with a battle, and the Autobots win. Optimus needs to uh, take a trip for parts and fuel. And uh, actually in that scene where he's about to leave, he calls Sparkplug Mr. Sparkplug. And uh, he's talking to him in vehicle mode, but with his head flipped over like the toy. So if you transform the original toy and hadn't done the step where you turn the head 180 to put it inside the cab of the truck, you can actually transform him down to recreate this where he's a truck with a head on the roof. Uh, other interesting little tidbits in this book. We have another Black Helmet Megatron. And Sunstreaker is colored with red parts. Uh, once again alluding to the back and forth mix-up between Sunstreaker and Sideswipe. Uh, their toy bios are kind of mixed up uh, versus how they're portrayed in the comics and the cartoon. And uh, here their coloring is, uh, well, there's no Sideswipe to be colored, but Sunstreaker is red. Uh, in the parts that he is colored. Uh, to continue with the story, Megatron decides he's going to attack the Autobots without Optimus Prime there. And while they're in their weakened state because they need fuel, uh, this is very, very similar to issue number four of the Marvel Comics, which we covered last episode. And then Prime returns with the fuel and saves the day. And yeah, these sticker books, they're fun. I imagine they're more fun with the stickers than they are reading them online. Uh, but all these books, all these books have been a lot of fun to look at. And I hope you've enjoyed taking this little trip and looking at them too. Now you can uh, be a hero yourself by uh, swinging on over to tfu.info help and checking out all the ways you can help the site as far as the toy archive goes. Additionally, if you'd like to help this podcast and the site please swing on over to tfu.info slash amazon tfu.info slash amazon and uh, that'll take you to amazon.com and anything you order uh, amazon throws a couple of pennies our way uh, so it costs you nothing more and it helps out the show in the process and don't forget if you're using itunes scroll past the show notes uh to the bottom of the feed and make sure you rate and review us give us four stars give us five stars give us two stars if you hate it uh but please rate and review the show and that will wrap things up for this episode of transformers university i am your host anthony brucali and i'd just like to thank all of my guests on this episode jason kirk alan young and rob springer and i hope you had a good time my friend please Join us here next time when we're going to talk a little bit more about voice actors in part two of Meet the Cast from season one. Until then, see you.